0: Hello and welcome to the Vorthos Cast. I'm Chris Delano. And I'm Carrie Thomas. And uh, that's who you've got this week. Um, so uh, it's just the two of us, but that's fine because we have what I think is going to be a really, really cool episode ahead of us. Uh, we're doing something pretty new and different, uh, and I think a lot of our listeners are going to really appreciate it. So um, before we get into that, we've got a we've got to chat a little bit about news because as of the time you are listening to this. Things will have happened. We do not know those things yet, but they will have happened by now. Uh, God, it's so frustrating whenever they, like, announce things on Fridays and Saturdays. It's like, uh, it's too late for us because we record on Thursday, but, like, we release on Monday. So it's just, like, a weird, like, I have to acknowledge that there were probably some announcements and, like, things shown off over the weekend at uh, Magic Fest Fest... Oh, mythic magic. champion grand prix pro tour <laughs> magic con vegas question <laughs> mark oh <laughs> yeah something in vegas yeah they probably showed something off there there's uh, a that's tournament really cool. there's probably a second guff card who knows god please don't they're they're really killing me this year by releasing cards with horsemanship and fateful hour uh <laughs> for, like like how did they hit like Two of the worst mechanics of all time, multiple times in one year. Uh, it's fascinating. But anyways. Uh...
1: Yeah, there's a story panel there
0: for Wilds
1: of Eldraine. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's going to be new major info or reveals related to the Wilds of Eldraine story. But there's always a possibility that we get something upcoming for Ixalan or any supplemental in the time until so
0: yeah yeah i'm like fully expecting them to show off like a piece of ixalan art or something maybe like kellen has gone to ixalan and they get a piece of art with kellen on like a dinosaur or something because that would be cool but also like you know whatever we'll we'll talk about it next week if it's important
1: we have we have many more weeks to fill until we get ixalan's story so
0: not too many but enough Enough where uh, we've got to fill that time with something, and we have like a few things we could do, but I'm really excited about this idea, and it was your idea, so I'm going to let you uh, talk about what we're doing today, and potentially like several weeks, maybe.
1: I mean, if people enjoy it, we'll keep doing it. Uh, While we're in the downtime between these sets, we're going to try highlighting individual older stories from Magic's past in a kind of book club-ish approach. Um, can't really be interactive when there's hundreds or thousands of listeners out there but we can talk about our thoughts on it (laughs) and kind of uh, increase access and awareness of these stories Um, this one's one of my favorites we're trying to focus on pre-Magic Origins since I think good share of our audience joined on around Magic Origins or is at least aware of those events but prior it was a lot less structured. There was plane hopping. There was uh, individual Uncharted Realms stories that were disconnected from the main set story for the most part. There were stories that were standalone pieces of fiction published in a variety of columns even prior to Uncharted Realms, and then all the way back, there's Encyclopedia Dominia from the um, original kind of magic story website and. Just kind of gonna cherry-pick some stories from there, um, worthwhile short fiction reads so that we can narrate them on this podcast and then have a little discussion back and forth about what we like about them, what we don't like about them, um, talk about the context that they were written in and how they stack up kind of in comparison to modern-day magic story. But the first story we have, is called war's wage and it is by jeff grubb so yeah uh
0: before we get into the the narration i do just want to say uh for anyone who is listening um i got into the story with magic origins for the most part i you know was vaguely aware of things before then had read various little bits um so for me this is a brand new story so just like you i went into this blind today uh have just read it for the first time so uh, don't feel like you can't get involved because it's old you absolutely can
1: yep and i mean that is the purpose of my site which i will plug mtglore.com. no ads no nothing you just get to look for a story and i try to rehost a large amount of the story that was on previous iterations of the magic website or the wizards website that has since been deleted this is one of those stories N- nobody's digging around intentionally for this story. But it's a little hidden gem, so we're gonna highlight it.
0: Yeah, so uh we are gonna narrate it. So Carrie, you have uh graciously volunteered to read the story. I'm gonna sit back and relax and enjoy uh this this story. War's Wage by Jeff Grubb.
1: War's Wage by Jeff Grubb. The Cursed Warrior came out of the West, where a dying sun was drowning in a blood-red tide of dust the first harbinger of a windstorm blowing in off the flats. I was the one who found the cursed warrior, and in doing so became responsible for all that followed. Had our village been only a few miles further east, or had I not seen his stumbling form lurching through the low woody scrub at the foot of the hill, he would have perished, and we all would have been spared our fates. But the village was not further east, and I did see him there, and so I must face my responsibility. That evening... I would have rather been sleeping, bundled tight against the hot wind, or tending the sheep, or swapping lies by the fire. But strange and horrible things were afoot in the world, spirits and monsters that walked the earth, and someone had to watch out for them, and one of those watchers had to be me. I was a guard, facing westwards on the barren side of the village, looking out over the flats. The distant hills were already lost in the deep, churning red dust. The cursed warrior was little more than a shadow, and at first I thought him a wolf or a small dog raiding the village midden. But even then there was something wrong. The shadow was erratic and halting. It would rise up on its hind legs and sway in the dying light. At last, the shadow resolved itself fully into a roughly human form, a human that might be drunk or wounded or both. I came down off my village's low hill and went to him. My grandfather's dagger still in its sheath, but both hands clutching my spear. The cursed warrior saw me and raised a hand, though if it was to wave me off or welcome me, I could not say. Then he slumped, dropping to his knees. I approached him slowly. He was a warrior and a veteran, and he looked like he had passed through a battle in the realm of the kami itself. His armor was made of black lacquered reeds, splintered and shattered in some places, while other parts, like the shoulder plates and leggings, were missing entirely. The clothing beneath the armor was also ragged and stained. He still had a sheath on his back, but no weapon. His sandals were worn almost paper-thin. As I approached, he remained where he slumped, kneeling among the long-shadowed clumps of grass. I stood in front of him for a long moment, and then scanned the horizon for others. He was alone. A survivor? A deserter? For his part, the warrior waited, and only when it was clear I was not going to slay him outright did he look up at me. He was much older than I was, and his face should have been sterner and wiser. Instead, it was streaked and grimy, tears carving new paths down his dirt-streaked face. From the mottled appearance of his face, he had been crying for days. All dead, he said in a rusty, creaking voice, little more than a whisper. War's wage claimed them all. I looked at the warrior, then back up to the village. I could go for help, but the older man seemed fully capable of expiring in my absence. He didn't look wounded, and despite his appearance, did not seem to be diseased. I shouted back to the village for help and laid down my spear so I could use both hands to raise the exhausted warrior to his feet. As I did so, he spoke a single croaking phrase, almost torn away by the gathering evening breeze. And as the words left his lips, I realized I had made a horrible mistake. "'Are you sure of what he said?' asked Virgin. He was the eldest of the village elders, and it was both his job and his nature to confirm everything at least three times before he believed it. I nodded. "'Kataki comes after me,' I repeated for the third time. The older veteran had spoken the name of a powerful kami, of one of the great spirits. Outside, the rising wind was already rattling the shutters and screens. The windstorm that had blotted the sun had arrived hard on the heels of the exhausted warrior. Soroshin, the heavy one among the elders, made a deep grunting noise. So he invoked a kami's name. What does that matter to us? Kiokuri, who served as scholar, scribe, and teacher, shook his head with a bird like tick. In these dark days invoking any kami is dangerous. Their darker natures wander the land, unshackled by their old codes and promises, They bring doom to those who cross them. I said nothing, but pursed my lips in agreement. Kataki was a spirit to whom the smiths sang as they forged their spearheads, and the spirit each guard and warrior venerated with a whispered prayer when they honed their blades. A small shrine was in the armory, usually decked with small rice cakes. That shrine, and any other to the spirits, had been abandoned as the Kami went mad. Saroshian grunted again. So he invoked a warrior spirit. What of it? Any warrior might do the same, to guide his blow or keep his blade from being shattered. Ferusian said, His blade was missing when you found him, that is correct? I nodded, and he continued, And Kitaki may have killed his companions. All dead, I repeated for the third time. War's wage claimed them all. Sorosian grunted again, but Kiyokuri interrupted before any words could rise out of the other elders' ponderous mass. Kataki is known as War's Wage, for it was the great protector spirit that kept a warrior's arm, arms and armor whole. Kataki guided any blow-struck in vengeance to its true target. Shining and noble, it was, in better days. So who exactly died? said Sarushion. His traveling companions? His unit? It is simple, then. They crossed Akami and were punished for it. Serves them right. He swiveled, a waddled neck towards me. Do you know what unit he was from? I would have shrugged my shoulders, but one did not show disrespect to elders. I saw nothing that would have been a unit marking. He had no shield, or sword, or pack. He had a water skin, and that was flat and had not been filled for days. A deserter, then, concluded Kiyokuri. He might have fled the field of battle. Kotaki would not like that. No one knows what the kami like and do not like anymore said Furuzhin. They no longer even pretend to think like living creatures. "'What battle?' asked Soroshian, of his nervous comrade. "'I have heard no news of any battle.' "'He came from the west,' said Kiyokuri. "'And here Soroshian shot me a look, but not one that asked for my reply. "'There is nothing that way for miles but scrub and salt desert, "'until you reach the hills. He had to come from a military unit, "'which in turn had to be there for a reason for the unit to be there, "'therefore, a battle.' "'Why would a military unit be in the hills anyway?' growled Sorushian. "'Perhaps to protect the villagers from Kataki,' said Furuzhin. "'Because of the distance, we would hear little from the hill communities. Indeed, entire wars could occur over the rim of distant hills and we would be unaware of them.' "'His unit might have tried to protect a village from Kataki,' blurted Kiyokuri. "'Or something else. This is no longer a peaceful world.' "'He could be a deserter,' grumbled Sorushian. Or he could just be a survivor of an ambush patrol, or perhaps he just got lost from his column. Let him sleep on the storeroom floor this evening and we will send him on his way tomorrow. That would be the most wise, said Ferusian. unless his compatriots were truly slain by the spirit Kataki. Soroshian's heavy brow furrowed, and Kiyokuri interrupted again. Indeed, for if he has called Kataki's wrath upon himself, he is as good as dead already. Kami are notorious both for their capriciousness and their tenacity. They may take offense to the mildest thing, but once offended are determined hunters. And they will be offended by anyone defending the original offender, said Ferusian. So we give the old veteran a bit of rice and fill his water skin from the well and send him on his way, said Soroshian. If this spirit is following him, then it will find him without any of us around. Aiding the offender in any way may inspire the same kami's wrath, said Furuzhin. Kiyokuri gave a bird-like tick and frowned. By the same token, should the kami learn that we failed to stop the offender, it might seek to punish us as well. sorosian let out a grunt that seemed to originate at his very core. And of course we cannot ask the kami because they are all mad. Pity that the old man didn't perish fifty feet short of getting here, eh? The heavy-set sorosian gave me a deep, glowering look he could simply be mad his wits strained by the long trip across the flats said ferusian to turn such a man to turn out such a man would be a terrible thing so too would be the be- holding him when Kitaki arrives said Keokuri. that spirit cannot be fought by weapons we own given that the weapons given that our weapons are blessed in its name i suppose not said serusian kiokuri shook his head and held up a hand for silence "'Kataki's appearance is mild and weak at first, but if you fail to drive him away fully, he grows greater, much as a warrior's dedication grows greater over the course of the battle. He is war's vengeance, the spirit of retribution incarnate. It would be folly for us to oppose him.' "'It would be folly for us to try to guess its mind,' said Fruijan." Saroshian grumbled. "'We should not keep the stranger. We should not abandon the stranger. We cannot even be sure if Kataki is truly chasing the stranger.' Sorosian then said the following words slowly, but he was looking at me, not his companions as he spoke. Pity that this stranger lived long enough to give us this problem, eh? The elders continued to argue for a good while. They eventually remembered that I was in the room and dismissed me, though not before demanding a report one more time. I stepped outside and saw that the windstorm had crossed the flats and was now bearing down fully upon us. The sky was not fully dark, but nearly so, and the leading gusts swirled among the houses. The salty dust pried up from the flats stung my face, and I shielded myself with a forearm as I made for the storeroom. Despite the hour and the rising wind, there was still activity in the village. Families were checking the shutters and blinds and making sure that everything was tied down. Old Taimanto, who had put off repairing his shutters, was now bellowing at his brother-in-law to hold the wooden frame straight as he pounded in the last few pegs. A bonfire was fighting the wind, and around it, the last remains of the first watch were passing around wineskins and rumors. In the distance, I could hear the sheep bleating on the wind, and the curses of the herdsmen trying to get them all under cover. The winds dropped for a moment, enough to let me hear the laughter of the other guards. For a moment, I was tempted to join them, take the wineskin, and complain about the elders. Let someone else take responsibility for the old warrior. Instead, I made for the storeroom. A squat windowless building across from the town well. Our guest had been situated in the front room away from the barrels and urns and bins in the back. Rushatsu, another guard, had been posted at the front door, but he was sitting and looking longingly at the distant campfire. Anything? I said. Rushatsu shrugged. Nothing that makes sense. They'll start crying for a while, then stop, then start crying again. No requests, no conversations, no prayers. Nothing. I picked up the veteran's water skin. Here, go to the well and fill it. Rishatsu shook his head. Gyokori said not to feed him until they decide what to do about him. I just came from there, I said truthfully. They're talking about sending him on his way. On a night like this, said Rishatsu, they should just put an arrow in him. I shrugged, my shoulders, more to avoid looking in Rishatsu's eye than in agreement with his wards. He was still staring at me when I looked up. I held up the water skin. Go fill it, and if you want to take your time, go ahead. I looked over towards the campfire, and the wind died down again to fall, to allow a gust of laughter to waft over. I'll look after things here. Rushatsu hesitated, then took the skin and loped over towards the well. I entered the storehouse. The forward room is used for packing and unpacking, and was bare. The few tools in the room locked back up in the main warehouse directly behind. The veteran was kneeling in the center of the room, an unused rice bowl to his right, a candle shrouded in waxed paper flickering to his left. He was no longer crying. Indeed, his face was as calm as that of a soldier's on the morning of a battle. Hello? I said. He made no response. I kneeled before the warrior. Can you speak? A little. His voice was as dry as sand. Water? Getting it, I said. The elders did not want to offer hospitality until they were sure. Careful, said the veteran, looking down at his lap. Good. We should have been careful. What happened? I asked. Offended, Kataki, he said, his voice quivering on the name. Offended how? The warrior gave a weak cough. So easy. Yes, but how? I asked, pressing. The warrior looked up from his hands and in his eyes I saw madness. Madness, and perhaps a hint of something else. "'All the Akami are insane these days,' he said. Then that something else in his eyes faded, and his face became slack. He looked down at his hands again. "'How?' I said, standing up, towering over the older man. "'Killed us all?' said the warrior. "'Killed who? Your unit? Your allies? Who?' I tried to keep my voice flat, my irritation with the older man exiled from my speech. All my fault, he said softly. Yes, I implored. But what did you do? Did you kill someone? Warriors are supposed to kill. Then did you fail to kill someone? Blaspheme the spirit? Did you betray your own? Did you desert? Did you run? Is that why Kotaki pursues you? There was a long pause, and the closed shutters in the storeroom rattled in the wind. If the old man thinking or just struggling to speak the words, I could not know. At length, he said, I ran. I began to pace in the room, orbiting the man, knowing that Rishatsu would only waste so much time around the campfire. Time was short. Does Kataki want you dead? I asked as I paced. Another pause. Who knows what the kami want? They're all mad these days. The Kataki pursues you out of vengeance. I did not ask this, but merely stated it. I knew what must be done, what Soroshian had told me to do without telling me. Someone needed to make a decision. Yes, the old warrior said softly. The wind howled outside. It's too late anyways, he added. I stood behind him now. I pulled my grandfather's dagger from its sheath, hoping not to alert him. He probably heard the whisper of the metal against the sheath, but did not flinch. For an insane moment, I thought of invoking Kataki to keep my blade true. But decided against it. You should, were his last words, and in a single swift motion I pulled the plate- I pulled the blade across his throat. It was no different than slaughtering a lamb. He did not resist, his hands remaining still in his lap, his body growing suddenly heavy and wet. He slumped to the floor without so much as a sigh, and the growling wind outside suddenly ceased, like a lid had been dropped down upon it. Carefully, I laid his body on the floor, wiping the dagger against his tattered clothes. I walked slowly to the door. More than the wind had died, for there was no other sound in the village. I stepped out of the storeroom and the sky itself was glowing a ruddy brown shade, as if the village was surrounded by a brush fire. There were no stars or clouds, just a soft, dirty glow. Rushatsu lay on the ground about four steps away, head pointed towards me, a full skin of water oozing out on the dirt. Something was oozing out of Roshatsu as well, staining the ground dark beneath his head and chest. The panic grasped me in the pit of my stomach, but I went to him and turned him over. His throat was slashed open, in a single smooth motion. He had not the time to resist, no different than slaughtering a lamb. Across the village there were bodies around the bonfire, also staining the ground in the flickering light. Taimanto and his brother-in-law were both slumped by their house, the last shudder abandoned between their fallen forms. I took two steps to where the elders were, but knew what I would find. And then the wind returned, softly at first, then growing in strength, scattering the dust in the village square and churning it into a great cloud, and in the cloud darker shadows moved and grew and became solid. Kataki had arrived. The kami was over twice my height, made of weapons and bound in armor. Where its arms would be instead sinister blades rattled, its legs were made of clusters of crossbow corals, beneath its ebon helmet twitched needle-thin daggers, and from behind its helmet rose the tips of pole arms. A harsh radiance moved behind the eyes of its mask. Around the spirit danced throwing crescents, each crescent burning with the same unearthly radiance, and each dripping with the blood of my fellow villagers. Its voice sounded like swords meeting in battle. It spoke my name. My throat was drier than the flats themselves, but I managed to croak out a response. Your task is complete. The old warrior is dead. The great figure clashed and turned before me. I know, it said. Sweat broke out on my forehead. Your task is complete. You are released from any vour charge. Your vengeance has been taken. My vengeance has been denied, said the kami, and the ground seemed to shake beneath me. The wind rose in a howl. I don't. I started to protest, but my words were lost in the rising wind. Long ago one had offended me, said the Kami. It was slain by another, who was slain by another still, each in turn seeking to appease me, but each in turn denying me my vengeance. Each offender has perished before I could rend their soul and reduce them to an eternity of suffering. And now you have done the same, you and your miserable village, and so you gain my enmity and retribution as well. I realized that the kami were, indeed, mad, and nothing we had done—act, debate, argue, slay or not slay—would have made a difference. I had damned my village the moment I had rescued the dead warrior. It had only taken this long for us to die. And suddenly I realized that the old warrior knew. The cursed warrior had shaped his response so that I would give him the release that he needed and take on the mantle of his curse, become the one chased by war's wage. And I knew what must happen next. I turned my face from Kataki and began to run.
0: All right. um, It's a really good story. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for reading all of that. Um, It's a marathon and
1: I'm not used yeah. to talking that much, but took a stab at it.
0: Well, I hope uh, I hope people appreciate it because uh, like you were saying, this story is a little hard to find online now. Uh, as far as I'm aware, there's no other uh, like, reading audio version yeah or no just audio version of it is what i was thinking
1: oh because there are a dozen or two of these stories from the kamagawa block and people genuinely don't know they exist because they're just fun little vignettes that were supplemental to the actual block novels
0: yeah well let's start off um with our, our sort of book club discussion uh by kind of addressing some of that uh meta textual information about like uh the history of the story, the author, the, all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, so we we mentioned earlier that Jeff Grubb wrote this. Uh, Jeff Grubb, probably a lot more famous for writing the Brothers War novelization. Um, the short story Lauren's Smile from the Colors of Magic anthology. Uh, he just has he's like an old time magic lore writer. Uh, yeah. I don't think we've seen anything from Jeff Grubb in a very long time. Not in a while. Uh, I think he was
1: tapped in technically for the brothers war set but that was because um the main story author was using excerpts from the novel um but yeah like how do you get more iconic than both the brothers war and lauren's smile like lauren's smile probably the most highly recommended short story maybe after the truth of names um And The Brothers War probably is the most recommended novel by far. Uh, Maybe close with the Thran, but it is it is the iconic magic story.
0: Yeah, it's definitely one of the um, when we recommend people go back and read old magic novels and stories, there's not a lot of them we actually recommend. Yeah, Uh, but The Brothers War is one that a lot of people stand behind as being at least a good book, um, even if there is some question about like, Some of the plot elements uh, (laughs) specifically involving uh, Urza's wife, uh, Caleb and Krug name had just almost escaped me. Um, Also worth noting, this story was originally published in May of 2005. Uh, So this story is over 18 years old, uh, which is pretty cool um oh jeff grubb also wrote the ice age trilogy which is another series of older books and magic story that we we sometimes recommend
1: we sometimes um, recommend but they are absurdly expensive and not available in ebook version so harder to recommend than the brothers War, which has
0: been converted at yeah. this point but if you find them yeah have at check it. Them out. <laughs> but uh yeah it was published in may of 2005 uh that was before the pre-release of saviors of kamigawa saviors of kamigawa um which is the set where kataki war's wage was printed uh released in june of 2005 i think pre-release would have been in may um the novelization of saviors block uh of the saviors set um because this was back when every single set got its own novel um the novelization which was guardians uh came out at the same time as the set released, because that's how they did it back then um, to varying results. Uh, that novel was written by Scott McGo McGuff. Guff himself wrote the novel <laughs> for uh, Saviors of Kamigawa. So, you know, this was um, back in that day. Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting to just note that this was like released online concurrently with. The novels so this was a time period where we were getting online story and magic novels at the same time um to various degrees of quality and uh varying degrees of relatedness to the set that was coming out i highly doubt having haven't read it but uh, i don't think kataki shows up in the novelization yeah. of saviors of Kamikawa. i
1: think this is very much a they had the a-line plot and anybody mm-hmm. who is not involved in that plot could be included in side stories so there's side stories for sakashima um the last visitor there's a whole bunch of uh Asuza, i believe shows up in two of them so you get you get a whole variety of characters that aren't necessarily, like, threading into the main story. Could have been in the main story, like, tangentially, but yeah.
0: Yeah, and one thing I think is interesting is that um, looking into it, the story when it was released online did not include a preview card for Kotaki. Um, I don't know if Kotaki was previewed a different way. I This was 18 years ago. I was but a, you know, 14-year-old. God, I'm old. Um, so I... I wasn't around playing magic at the time. I don't know if that happened concurrently, um, but we do know that the art was released with the story and the story includes things about Kataki, like a visual description of this character. Um, and in some ways, maybe even a mechanical tie in uh, since Kataki is sort of related very much to equipment and uh, the story and in the card itself. So I thought that was a really interesting little tidbit that, Even in 2005, they were still sort of including mechanical aspects of the legendary creatures in the stories that they appeared in.
1: And a lot of these stories were by creative text writers or people involved with the creative team who probably could have had that flexibility in both seeing card designs. Again, an advantage of having internal writers um, get to peek at the cards and more finely... You know, mesh things together so that it makes sense. But again, like online stories in 2005. I know they did a few in the time before and after, maybe, because there are some, there's a handful of Ravnica ones, not a whole lot. There's Time Spiral, which was a few years afterwards, but you didn't get a whole ton of these. This really was like a short burst of story for. The Kamagawa Block in a very concentrated sense, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's a few typos um editing errors, stuff that would never happen today because <laughs> we're so great at banquets and all but <laughs> <there's>, <laughs> it it is just how how things happen when not necessarily being run it through a publisher's editors versus yeah uh online editors because there's just flexibility there and things can be updated after the fact. Um no idea how popular these were at the time, but considering their kind of low awareness in the modern Worthos community, I can't imagine they're especially popular or being shared around. Probably just as entertaining as like Legends of Article or something that would be put up today. So, um
0: yeah. I just thought it was fun that there were little typos and editing mistakes in this. And I'm like, look, look, 18 years later, and we're still having these. It's, <laughs> it means it's just it's part of the system and the way that you publish and not necessarily a thing that's like whether or not Watsi is you know paying attention or not. It's yeah, just, it's just how it works. You can have it's infinitely more people
1: works. having their eyes on it and still something will slip through So,
0: Oh, yeah. All right. Now the story itself. Let's let's go into that.
1: Yeah. So how it starts immediately in the first two paragraphs we are presented by a doomed narrator who's like setting our expectations by accepting his role and responsibility in these events.
0: Um we yeah, the the text kind of like straight up says like the village is doomed, he's doomed, everyone's doomed, it's all going to be awful, but doesn't like say how and also I think there's a way of reading this and when I started reading it, I had the same experience of like, you're unsure if this narrator is writing as a survivor or if they're writing as like one of the doomed. Um, Because, you know, as a as a piece of fiction, the writer could could be dead. The narrator could be dead, you know, so uh, you don't really know going into it more than the fact that this is going to end bad. (laughs) That's that's what you get. How badly?
1: Well, the
0: guy's cursed, so
1: <laughs> there's there's no intention to deceive us by making this wandering character necessarily like ambiguous. We, we identify him as cursed like the first time we see him and yeah, we're not trying to bring the reader on a ride based on lack of information surrounding like his nature in the narrative but um yeah could have been prevented (laughs) one of my favorite lines in the story he's just like if we Mm -hmm. were just like a few feet further away or like something else went correctly then we could have all avoided this but
0: (laughs) yeah i find that really interesting considering the end of the the story and we'll get to that there's a line towards the start um where uh, the narrator says that the cursed warrior raises a hand to him. And he doesn't know if it's in, uh, if it's like in warning or in welcome. Um, and I, I thought that was a very interesting line for, for reasons. Uh, if uh, though, if it was to wave me off or welcome me, I could not say. Yeah. Um, so we'll talk about that I mean, towards the end. It was welcoming. All right. <laughs> was, some, was it? That's the question. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, well, yeah. I, I love that line. That was, I loved it. But
1: yeah, he's tasked with protecting the village. We know his role in this story. We're being primed with some sense of scope for the narrator's failure here. Um, and then we get the line, Kataki comes after me. I know that card. That, <laughs> that guy cares yeah. about artifacts and upkeep and was playable and modern for a little while, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, Sideboard playable. Oh, yeah, no, it was like a sideboard, like must have in modern for a little while. Yeah. Um, still, could, I don't know. I don't know anything about modern. I'm not going to speculate. Um, I like that line because the line Kotaki comes after me uh, is sort of written in a way to be ambiguous. Um, if you say someone comes after you, you can mean that they're following you. They're trailing you. It could mean that they are. Uh, once you're there, they're coming. Um, it could be, you know, it's it doesn't imply any sort of intent or like what the goal is of Kataki. Um, and so it could, the the doomed warrior could have said uh, Kataki hunts me. Kataki comes to kill me. Instead he says Kataki comes after me and we learned that's, that's true. Kataki does come after him um, in every single way you could imagine.
1: I mean, both in the sense that the wanderer is telling or the cursed warrior is telling the technical truth here, we also get that same kind of technical truth reflected back by our narrator at the end of the story where he's like, Yeah, I just came from there. Uh when he's telling Roshatsu like basically F off with the water. But if we're all gonna be playing avoidance <laughs> games, then <laughs> somebody's gonna lose eventually. But yeah. we shift to the village, we get our first taste of characters and life outside of our narrator and uh the rescue because we got the elders we got the elder who sits, the elder who is trying to be benevolent and then the elder who is like i sure wish you would have killed this guy before he even became a problem for us um and is that like the attitude in the village like i will get more into that with talking yeah. about the narrator themselves but um we get to see Various villagers, no idea who was happening. Um, just proving that this isn't a story about these two people.
0: <laughs> well, so the thing I really liked about this scene with the elders, um, and when you first read it, uh, when I, I, I say when you when I first read it earlier today, um, and I think when someone first reads it, the there's a couple of things happening with the scene with the elders and one of them I want to like focus on a little bit is that uh the elders in their sort of like long dialogue about what to do um it functions on like multiple layers in the narrative uh on one sense it is sort of telling us just straight up like what the elders would say uh it sort of does give us a little bit about their characters being like like you said the fence sitter, the benevolent and then the just kill him, guy. (laughs) Um, So like you, like it's these three characters are seeing three different points of view on this issue that how they're trying to solve it. Um, It's also working within the story of kind of showing us um, the like conflicting nature of the narrator who is also kind of going through like, this is almost like his internal monologue at the same time. Um, And we get that from the beginning when he's like constantly trying to figure out like what he's going to do with this guy. Is he going to go help him? What's he going to do? And so it kind of is like, Hey, this could almost just be an internal monologue happening with this one person. Um, And then also it works on like a, like an, a meta level as well. um, Telling us like the nature of the world that they're in telling us, giving us this like sort of like background information about like, Okay, so the kami are like messed up. There's a war happening. Things aren't safe. Um, there's sort of rules to follow. So it's like also doing world building at the same time. Yep.
1: Kiyokuri is the bookish nerd who yeah. wants to expound all the knowledge about the war and what, what <laughs> Kotaki is. And I mean, it's not very subtle, but it is, uh, you know, cute because you have uh, Sorosian who genuinely could not care less like he kind of just wants to be done with the problem at first he's perfectly fine sending him out his way then he's like mm-hmm. yeah like you probably should have killed this dude and uh yeah i I like Curry for that because <laughs> it is just like the perfect um you get to go into the story you don't necessarily need to know about the events of the kamigawa set you get all the brief that you need to know is that from their point of view, the commie went mad. And maybe that's true. Maybe there is absolutely nothing that could be done about it, but they're not in a position to kind of gauge reactions. Um, Yeah, Yeah.
0: and well, that's like, it really plays into the conclusion of the story, which I think is, um, like, the story is good, but the, the conclusion is really the strongest part, which makes all of this combined together, but let's talk a little bit about the narrator um who is essentially the main character of the story. Um everything is from his point of view. Uh we don't know anything about this narrator. He but doesn't have a name. Is it his? Because <laughs> yeah it could be exactly it doesn't have to be he. Yeah. But every single um,
1: character in this story that we really see or that we get named as a dude. So Yeah. Like there's I, there's an assumption there. <laughs> obviously and maybe that assumption would have been corrected if that story was told today but i just thought Mm -hmm. it was very curious that like there is never a secondhand reference to our narrator and i mean anything about their nature we only get to find out anything about them through their actions and through respectful um quiet in the face of
0: these elders Mm -hmm. so yeah, I, I will say that my that did pop up in my thought when I was reading that we don't know anything about the narrator. But my impulse was to say he and that's probably because every other character in the story is uh he, um including like the two villagers who are just like arguing. And, and his a-
1: brother in law. Yeah, exactly. You're just yeah. like, you can't have a single woman or child in this story that actually has There's- a name but there's
0: literally i don't even think there's a woman mentioned other than the implicit wife involved in brother-in-law Yes, you know yeah. like um and i think honestly that is just it was written in 2005 yeah. <laughs> you know this is that's it was just a character but mm-hmm.
1: to these people um to the elders our narrator is i mean probably their most responsible soldier but not the one they actually want to deal with because he's bringing them a problem in this instance, and um, based on, like, the attitude that the other guards have in this village, I'm guessing that this would not have been handled the same way by pretty much anyone else, which I mean, theoretically, it was the exact same situation that happened prior to prior <laughs> to, uh, the cursed warrior coming to be cursed. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, he's he's a responsible guard. He's not trying to escape his duties. He's doing due diligence and, like, escalating it to the elders so that he can get their judgment. Um, When he's kind of prodded for a response, all he's repeating back is, here's what the guy said, and kind of keeping the decision out of his hands. But like you said, it is the placeholder for his internal monologue, so... um, But he's far more patient and understanding with the cursed warrior than rishatsu was he was merciful in the first place by choosing to help the cursed warrior and theoretically merciful in the end by cutting his life short uh thinking that like this is the way he won't notice what's happening um maybe he'll hear the blade but it'll already be too late by that point um but yeah I mean, but with that kind of merciful attitude and obedience also comes the expectation expectation from Sorosian that you're going to take care of this dude because we're not figuring out anytime soon. He's dismissed by the elders without having a necessarily clear decision or direction from any of them. They're still debating about it, but Sorosian implied you take care of this.
0: Yeah, it's a really weird interesting um I say weird. It's interesting that it's it's first person narration um but it's not like honestly it's not a first person narration where you get to know everything happening in the mind of the narrator. Mm-hmm. Um it's quiet He's only he's he, well, he's only sharing the thoughts that I think he wants to share because we so when he leaves the the elders there's this sort of like unsure situation because like we don't know what his plan is it's not really until he takes the dagger out that you realize what he's about to do um and i really i like that from like a writing point of view um and also just like it's interesting to have a character um trying to figure out if this narrator is honestly like being honest with us yeah um in the sense that we know he was merciful, but like, he seems to be even at the very beginning, sort of hedging that as like, maybe I shouldn't have been merciful. Maybe I shouldn't have helped this guy. Um, And then when he gets to the end and he's like, you know, well, I pulled the dagger and I made it very clean and quiet and, and, you know, you know, humane in a way uh, you sort of sit there and think like, yeah, but like you could have given him water. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you could have given him water and you could have, you know, like, kept him alive and tried to be nice to him and seen what happened. but um, there's also the added you know the real very real threat of the kami um, and a thing that they would be familiar with. Uh, so yeah I think I think it was a good mm-hmm. checkpoint at the beginning of the
1: story to think about I love I love just having checkpoints like a page or so in um, mm-hmm. like what do we think is going to happen to the village or our narrator by the end of the story? And when he left that village elders, what was it that I was expecting? I was expecting him to weasel his way out of it. Because like up until this point, there had been that push and pull of knowing that the narrator regrets his actions, knowing that he did show mercy by rescuing the cursed warrior at first, but also he like never chimed in for defense of the guy with the elders. He could have responded to Saroshian and just been like it's kind of crazy that you want me to kill this old man when we can't really verify his story, <laughs> but um that goes back to his belief which was just to respect the elders and let them decide what exactly to do. He is just a soldier in that story.
0: Yeah, well it's like at the beginning you're sort of led to believe that the mistake he makes is showing mercy. And that's sort of what he he implies throughout the whole story. Um but then we have to ask the question of was the mistake he made not showing mercy? Um, was it merciful to kill the soldier or would it have been better uh, to try and help him keep running? Like what was the, what is the correct choice here? And I think that's, um, that can kind of pull us into the conclusion here, which I think is the most interesting thing is where he, he kills the wanderer uh, or the, the cursed. I keep saying uh, the warrior. wanderer,
1: but I forget the wanderer yeah. is a literal character for. A Kamigawa, little character. So. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, so he, He kills the cursed warrior, um, and that, you know, kills everyone in the village uh, in a very similar manner. Um, And it it begs the question of, like, the choice he made to kill this warrior, could things have been done correctly here? Um, What kind of character would have done things correctly? And then the question of, could anything have been done correctly? No, because it's a story.
1: And that's the exact kind of story I want to read, is somebody (laughs) who faces... The inevitability of there was basically no clean way out of this. He, we don't know if he ignored, theoretically, he could have ignored the cursed warrior and just like gone closer mm. inland and assumingly let the guy die. But you know, that's part of the story is that the cursed warrior has to reach you in order to attempt to transfer this exchange. The cursed warrior and our narrator both don't want to die and be eternally tormented by Kotaki. There is a clean out that is literally just passing the book to the next person and Mm -hmm. that is getting yourself killed with the least amount of information. And I do have to say the narrator is literally the person that will do this to the next. So maybe we get a chain of um, fools who are very, very careful (laughs) with their warding. But could anything have been done correctly? There's no guarantee that if they showed mercy and um, if Kataki even reached there and slayed the person, the cursed warrior, that he wouldn't have still taken the rest of the town for giving him harbor. Um, Again, from the human perspective, and that's the only perspective we could ever know, the Kami are mad, so.
0: Yeah, I think that that's like sort of the interesting thing here is that there's really no clear answer to like how this could have been avoided, if this could have been avoided. Is it better that everyone died from a, a slit throat uh when the the guard when the narrator killed the wanderer or wander the want the eh, cursed warrior. Now I'm going to keep saying wander. Same. Um uh is it better that that's how everyone died rather than Kataki like rending them apart with all of the weapons that the kami is made of. Um, like it's sort of like we don't know and we can't know uh, what I find really interesting and sort of going back to, like I mentioned earlier, the the hand waving at the very beginning sort of sets us up for that conclusion that makes you sort of unsure about like, is there a way to have read this situation differently? Is there a way to have avoided this when, The the very cursed warrior is waving uh, in welcome, but also in warning, you know, like the war, the, the cursed warrior is like, yes, please come to me, help me. You're my way out of this. But also at the same time, like, is the cursed warrior waving and saying, like, please don't. If you help me, you will also suffer this fate. Like, where is the mercy here? And if this narrator goes on to be the cursed warrior that makes their way to another town, is are they going to have that same moment of waving their hand at some guard in you know, a waving off of like warning or in a please, yes, now I get to pass the buck on to you.
1: My my pessimistic interpretation yeah. is, yeah, they're just trying to pass it off because whatever he's got cooking is bad. Yeah.
0: yeah, they ran in the first place. Yes. <laughs> um, And I think that's interesting because I think that this is a story. um like, what is the story saying? What is the the point of the story? Um, it's a war story. It's a story about war. It's telling a story of like the sort of way that war um, just continues and continues and your people just pass it along. Um, and I think that that's fascinating and an interesting uh, way of depicting that.
1: And when you circle back to who could have avoided this theoretically, if, just letting the warrior wander off um, would have been an option. You're talking about somebody who is merciful, but also disobedient of their elders, which is like not necessarily somebody who's going to be a town guard. So you're, yes, you're feeding into the, these are the soldiers standing guard. Um, They all kind of have the same attitude and they're perfectly fine perpetuating this as long as they get a clean way out of it. Even if that's death, they still aren't cursed (laughs) forever, so.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting if you ask the question going back to when the narrator first sees the cursed warrior of what kind of person lets a wounded, wandering person just die out in the field um, and doesn't help them. Is that the kind of person you want in your society? Is that the kind of person you want uh, amongst your, you know, your soldiers, your guard, whatever. Um, or do you want someone who will help them? And then what happens with the, the sort of result from that? Like, how do you, what is the, the expected, uh, result from helping someone who's wounded, who has this sort of burden that you discover is hanging around their, their shoulders. I think it's fascinating that this story was written in 2005. Um, and sort of by an author who, and, and this is getting a little bit <laughs> biographical here, um, in 2005, I mean, you know, the, there's the whole situation in the war in Iraq, um, sort of the question of if we, we see people and we go, oh, let's help them, and then we just kill them when they become too much of a burden, uh, what happens from that fallout? Uh, is there a way this could have been avoided if we had never helped them at all, if we had provided them relief and protection rather than... Uh, just cutting their throat and running. Um, so I think it's you know there's sort of this question about in which what what do we owe to each other and what do we owe? Uh, how do we follow through with that when there's something kind of scary and you know awful on the horizon as well? Um, and I'm not going to get too much into that because we don't need to we don't need to make this a you know response to 2005 political climate. But it was something on my mind of like if this is a story about war what what was happening in the world at the time uh, and how could this be a reflection of it i was going to joke you defer to your elders but <laughs> but here's uh, the those... thing
1: like what do you think of the elders indecision? decision like yeah. is that i want to find a way to put it tastefully <laughs> <laughs> is that representative of um just not having a clear choice and the person who's going to act is going to be the person who kind of has the worst intent. (laughs) Like the Sorosian is the one who's pushing him to kill the cursed warrior to just get it off their plate. But there's never an official decree sent down by the elders
0: to do that. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting to ask, like, you know, when he, when he takes action, is he? Is it correct of this this narrator to have taken action of any kind, or should he have waited? And if he had waited, would things have gotten worse? I mean, he he was correct in escalating the matter,
1: and then the matter was not dealt with timeful, like <laughs> in a timely manner. So, yeah, I mean, send him
0: on his way. It's good as an arrow. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's uh. It's definitely, I don't think there's an answer, you know, I think that's the point of the story is that there's not an answer that you're sort of left with this and the, the narrator sort of starts it off with it. Like, yeah, we were doomed from the moment he showed up. Um, meaning like, was there a path they could have taken? I don't know. I don't know if I trust the narrator, but I also don't know if I disagree with the narrator and like whether or not there was, there was anything that could have been done. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a good story. It it definitely left me with a lot of um, appreciation for what a side story in magic can do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and I mean, we've gotten really good stories in the past few years. Don't get me wrong, but like uh, to look back to 2005 and see a story like this and be like, oh, yeah, this could easily have been published. You know, if we had if we had. A Saviors of Kamigawa block, right now, this easily could have just been published as a side story.
1: Yep. And everybody would have loved it because. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but also, just it falls into one of my favorite buckets of magic short stories, which is the love of cycles and inevitability. And like, I think Renar, the ever watchful from Kaldheim um that one's more of a time loop story like he gets memory reset i believe do you recall that one Mm -hmm. um but there's been others throughout the uncharted realms era for sure that were kind of everybody loves toying with these it feels so satisfying when everything clicks into place at the end and you're like Mm -hmm. i mean our narrator is the cursed warrior Mm -hmm. he's gonna go on and perpetuate it until um, there's nothing left or nobody else to pass it on to and it's not like the most elaborate path it's 3500 words but it's a perfectly entertaining one and um, yeah you get to you get to hop into the action immediately because like I said at the beginning there's nothing being hidden from you you know it's going to end badly you just have to figure out what exact ending is happening and like the grandfather's dagger being noted as soon as he's approaching the warrior, but he refuses to pull it. He's just holding his polearm for his guard duty. That's perfectly fine, too. I love it. Um, I, I like when... And in the bigger bucket that t- uh, cycles go into is twists and magic story has avoided the kind of cheap... I won't say cheap twist, but the uh Twilight Zone kind <laughs> of early <laughs> Twilight Zone style style quest. You can't believe they're all pig people, and that she's the beautiful one, but she's ugly because she's a human, and it's like, yeah, yeah, like this is kind of corny, but this is one of those ones where it's like you know everything's going to fold together perfectly, and the twist here is perfectly acceptable because you're just kind of waiting to see what what decision it goes down, and the decision that it does go down is one that's not necessarily prevented or presented in the elder discussion so I mean the discussion of killing him mm-hmm. is presented as an option, but uh the the possibility of killing him yeah. and um, that there's this long tradition of killing and vengeance was never even thought of because you just assume it's as simple as somebody who's cursed
0: yeah it's it's interesting because the, the elders present a lot of information and a lot of like if we had done this or maybe we should have done this or oh what if we did this but there's no real discussion about like okay well if we kill him what happens the idea is like you know we, we should have just yeah yeah should have just killed him from the start but no discussion of like well is it appropriate to do that now like and then it sort of implied like well we should have done it and so then the narrator goes and does it and it's like well maybe maybe if they hadn't have done it right like you know it's yeah it's sort of like you're left with a lot of like well what if we'd done something differently but at the same time you're you're realizing like it's the inevitability I if, yeah i don't know if they could have done anything differently um yeah, really cool, really good story. Um I hope our listeners really appreciated it because it is like you said one of like the the lesser known gems of the the past um web fiction even.
1: Like we're yeah. we're mm-hmm. if we continue this series then we might touch on anthology novels and do reading some short stories from there, but I believe those might push the word word limit for what we could mm-hmm. include safely as like half of an episode so we'll see how things go but like i said you can you can pop over to my site hit web fiction hit pre-mending and find a whole bunch of the kamigawa ones the and the other ones that were released for sets that aren't popularly known about but do exist so
0: yeah if you want to you can you can head over and hit random Story. just pick one at random (laughs) you might get you might get Uh, a fallen empires comic you know you
1: might get a fallen empires comic you might get a facebook post from the consulate because those are technically stories and i haven't condensed them (laughs) condensed them down to a page just yet
0: i want to let you know i went and collected a random story and the first thing i got was the the fallen empires comic issue number one uh, the second thing I got was War of the Spark Forsaken, so we're gonna just move on. I think <laughs> to to final don't hit it too many times. <laughs> I, I think I think this is cursed. I think I'm the cursed warrior. If I hit random story again, I'm gonna like get the War of the Spark Forsaken apology post or something.
1: <laughs> Not entered in there, but Theris Beyond. That's So,
0: <laughs> oh God, you should have. You absolutely should have put the apology. Anyways um uh yeah it's uh it's a resource and we're gonna be using it when we do this series because like uh like you said um we are probably gonna cover stories that are not like on the daily mtg website anymore because a lot of things are gone they're just missing yeah it's weird
1: and even statistically if they were all mediocre as an average then there's gonna be some good ones in there. There's Lauren's smile. There's uh the Kiki Jiki one that all everybody loves. Some of those got reprinted into the current magic.wizards.com domain, but yeah, I love it. What are your final thoughts?
0: Uh okay. Um shoot. Uh <laughs> uh, I am currently Uh, reading Giovanni's room by James Baldwin, which I had never read before for some reason. Uh, It's very short. I'm almost done with it. Um, The weather has been so lovely. I've just been sitting on my porch and reading during all of my like free time during the day. Um, That's what I did with war's wages. I sat on my porch and read it. Um, Very, very lovely weather. So that's my final thought is just, I'm reading and I'm going to be reading more and I'm probably going to finish this book and start a new one within like this weekend. Um, yeah my thoughts
1: are that destiny Two had a very silly weekend taking a break from book (laughs) recommendations um i was not around to exploit guns for fun and have fusion rifles that shoot shotguns but (laughs) 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 but it's been it's been a wild time i'm currently on a, a chaos reach warlock build um just because it's easy for me to solo while sectors and stuff, so having a little bit of fun. Gotta gotta finish up my battle passes, cause you know Oh, I also did hit in Week One, which is the <laughs> the uh or gilded in Week One, which is the gilded title for playing so much gambit. Um so I am the Gambit enjoyer, I suppose.
0: God, I love Gambit. I haven't played uh in a little while. I've uh, been doing a lot of well, they reworked a lot of it, seasonal reworked it and yeah. not a whole bunch
1: of people love it. So I did see quite a few familiar faces during that first week. <laughs> but right. um yeah. If you want to talk magic story, if you want to talk this story, if you want to talk any story, or just you know, are a fan of us, you can go to patreon.com slash Vorthoscast. Is it not the Vorthos cast?
0: No, it's it's the Vorthos cast. You can go yeah, to patreon.com
1: the... slash the Vorthos cast and uh, either join at the base tier for the Discord itself or join at the live lessons here and get to hear us record these live on Thursdays at 7 p.m. Eastern time. So yeah, we got a lot of discussion going on over there. We're talking about how Ronald is probably going to save the Omen Path arc because he's a named <laughs> character, so he'll inevitably have to fight uh, Kellen's biological dad. But that's that's Lorelai's opinion, is hashtag RonaldSweep. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But until next time, thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.